Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get in the Garage. We're a music podcast for music lovers. As always, great show planned for you today. But before we begin, don't forget to like and comment and subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends and your family and your enemies and your beloved, as Jeff said mm. last week, last week, week before. Uh, Luca, would you like to tell the good people uh, what we're going to give them this show while I cue up the theme here? Yes, we have music news like we do every week. Exciting, fun. We have... Uh, our review of Pitchfork's best songs of the 1990s. We're going to go through the top 20 and reflect, and you can comment below. Did they do a good job? Are we right? Are we wrong? Who knows? And then we also have two brand new music reviews from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and Jeffrey. Snarky Puppy. Snarky Puppy. Let's get it going. I always kind of refer to you on the second one, but I felt like that one was yours this week, so I wanted to give it to you. I appreciate it. I also go to Jeff when I can't pronounce things. I'd also like to point out we are the Gene Genies this evening. We are. It's a team effort here. Uh, Yeah, Mike's sporting the, uh, Mike's been heavily into that Netflix Jeffrey Dahmer (laughs) series. (laughs) Is You're it, looking like Dom on the prowl, right? Now. Do you mind? Do you, I'm just gonna get. All, I'm gonna be just off camera and just slowly peek my head in and just look at the look right at the camera the whole time. Oh wait, I I shouldn't be drinking this. That's <laughs> no, drink the whole thing, Jeff. You'll be fine. Um, as always, we've got your weekly dose of music news and things you may have missed. We have some RIPs uh, on the docket. So, uh, Luke, Let's start it off. Uh, Luke, would you like to do? Is there anything happening in Luke's legal corner this week that maybe we can uh, we can address? Yes. You know the court. I would like to address the court. <laughs> Please but get before our, I address gavel. The court. Can you get your gavel? Where's your gavel? Have some respect. Luke Excuse is the me. judge and the bailiff. Ju- judge, jury, jury executioner. and executioner. All right. This is okay. This is judge uh, <laughs> Judge Luke's legal corner. Uh, bringing the dancing lobsters. Order in the court. <laughs> This is legal news. Okay. So um, I've been talking about the FBI in the show for like the past month, two months, and um, things have gotten stranger. So (laughs) things have gotten stranger. They really have. The FBI has had a a 40-year file on Aretha Franklin, which is like pretty shocking. That didn't come out in that like last dump. But um, Rolling Stone released this a couple weeks ago, and every major news outlet has covered it. Um, so from 40 years, they try they tracked her from 1967 to 2007. They had a big file on her. Initially, this file opened in 67 is mostly to do with her dealings with Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Act was passed in 1968, right? Or the Voting Rights Act was passed? 64. 64. The Voting Rights Act is 68. Right. One of them is 1968. Right. I know that. So um, at the precipice of that... In 1968, also when Martin Luther King was shot, um, Aretha Franklin was had a lot to do with the, that movement in the dealings and was friends personally with uh, Martin Luther King. So that's when the FBI opened up this file, and they continued to f- track her movements for her entire musical career, which is incredibly bizarre. Um, also to note, too, that George Bush gave her the um, the medal of freedom Mm. the presidential medal of freedom which is like the highest um honor a civilian can Mm. get in the united states and while she received this award from the president she was being monitored by the fbi for there's a gps tracker inside (laughs) the medal (laughs) well we hope she wears this every do all these medals blink are they supposed (laughs) to blink i don't understand i guess it's just for flair i don't know so they were also tracking Sammy Davis Jr. for like the same reasons initially in the beginning, and they just kept following her. It um, also looked heavily into her 1971 Atlantic Atlantic Records contract at the time because they thought that the money was being siphoned to radical uh, black activists, like a la the uh, Black Panther Party. They also actively tried to stop her from participating in a food drive that the Black Panther Party was holding. So that was also in the file. Hmm. Sorry, uh, I ruined your Black Panther Party. Exactly. <laughs> and in then the words of <laughs> to really round this all off, there was some um, another event at Red Rocks where she uh, she didn't perform unless she got paid up front. A lot of black artists. Um, 
really put this into effect by the 70s because they were just not getting paid. So she demanded to be paid up front before she performed. She did not get uh, paid up front, so she did not perform at Red Rocks, and the FBI um, investigated this because it caused a small brawl at the thing. So actively really chasing her down her whole career. But this was what was released in the file. There is a ton redacted from these files. And I just thought it was really interesting. Um, and like I said, you know, Medal of Freedom, and you're getting tracked by yeah. your own government. It's just like a 90-page dossier, and they're flipping through it, and they're like, God damn, this bitch can still sing. It's just like <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just it's just charts of singles. Like it has nothing to do with anything else. Johnson, did you see the file? The Franklin file. What? She released another <laughs> album. Can you believe it? Oh my god, the audacity of this woman. She made a disco album. She just can't. She just won't quit. Who's zooming who? Oh my god, did you see the mink expenses on this <laughs> report? Um, I have some legal news actually to keep the keep the legal thing going forward. Keep, uh, train you threw your rolling. gavel, but I was you know I was gonna hit it anyway. Uh, so California's rap lyrics bill becomes state law. So Governor Gavin Newsom signed a decriminalizing artistic expression act, which is kind of interesting because I guess the California government was kind of like taking rap lyrics and using them in kind of like a you know a, a discriminatory way to kind of use it as. Uh, disingenuous proof of, proof of crimes and stuff like that and they were kind of like using it to their advantage so now they cannot do that anymore um killer mike meek mill and e40 uh were there for like the virtual ceremony so it's interesting um i didn't realize that that was actually like a big issue that like you know what i mean like the taking of the rap lyrics as like proof of crimes committed well if you brag I mean, about sometimes committing it is. a crime in a song <laughs> sometimes it is yeah but yeah yeah I There's suppose that, so. I mean, I don't know people's names, but some blah blah blah. A lot of rappers have like A five seven Melly is the guy's name, and he's in prison right now because he had a record about who he killed, and like they did the research, and they're like, oh shit, he actually did kill these people. Oh Jesus! <laughs> or yeah. that guy Bobby Schmurda, same thing. Right, 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 His right. His big hit had all these references to like this guy shot this guy and this guy. Well, because I guy. know, yeah, because was wasn't he the one? I, I I think I remember he went down for Rico charges. I think big I, conspiracy thing. I, I'm not sure if it was him or who it was, but I'm pretty sure there was even that. You know, because it's that whole thing of like you know. That's part of like the rap culture and sort of the criminal happenings and stuff like that, where it's kind of like people were getting upset. Maybe it was with Bobby Shmurda, where people were actually getting upset because they're just like, "Hey, man, like you named my cousin in that song of yours as like being someone who killed another person, and like that's kind of the proof there, you know." So uh, it's just interesting, you know. I mean, who's to say? I'm just reporting the, the news. <laughs> I don't know, you know, is that good? Is that bad? Who's to say? But. Yeah, uh, just interesting and uh, just piggybacking off of Luke's uh, legal corner. I figure we'll we'll get the the legal news up front. You know, bringing the dancing lobsters. Yeah. Um, in other news, uh, uh, an important transaction occurred recently. A pair of Elvis's underwear was auctioned off. Oh. For eight hundred dollars. Wow. And uh, this underwear was used and may I say abused. <laughs> it is. Disgusting. <laughs> so, if you want to Google Elvis's underwear auction, you can see the picture for yourself. Oh, really? Are they gross? I'll try yes. to pull up a picture if I can. They're if gross. Not, if it's not explicit, gross. Explicit gross, picture. Gross. 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 Were they like brown? Gross. Yes. Gross. I'll, I'll leave it at gross. What color were they supposed to be? Um, white at some point in their life. Oh. Now they're just a hunk of burning love. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hunk of burning garbage. <laughs> so $800 yeah, well, to that whatever guy. Don't let a match around him then, I guess. Gross. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Very good. Right, right? Do you have anything else, Luke? I I have some more stuff. I have some funny stuff. I have something. Uh, okay. Do you guys know Bono is releasing a book? Wow. So... Um, moving Bob. on. <laughs> Before we move on, I want to read you this uh, Garth Brooks level quote here. Okay, I here did. We go. It. Yeah, okay. So uh, I miss being on stage in the closeness of U2's audience. In these shows, I've he's doing a tour, a book tour. So in these shows, I've got some stories to sing and some songs to tell. Plus, I want to have some fun presenting my me war surrender, which is really more of a we more. If I think of all the people who have helped me get there. So there's this weird uh, me-war, and then he quickly just reverses 180 in the literally the next sentence and says it's a we-moir. So oh. um, his memoir. no-moir? <laughs> thank you, Jeff. Um, so Bono's memoir, Stories to Surrender, 
will be out November 2nd if you are into that kind of thing. I might read it. It might be crazy. Um, Bono seems to, like, have um, some kind of, like, grand rock star delusion-y um, political <laughs> grandeur thing. Well, it seems to. <laughs> seems, seems to. Um, yeah. As in he wears sunglasses inside everywhere he goes. Which is what well, I'm talking about, kind of he thing. He has glaucoma. <laughs> it's for the glaucoma. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll be lucky and we'll wake up one morning and it'll just be on our phones. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm just going to be with the new Apple update. <laughs> He's going to read it to you personally. Yeah, before, it's an audio book. Before you can get the update. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, some funny news. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, the Desert Days Festival happened. And uh, during a set from the Viagra Boys, of a, is a group that I have no idea, there was someone uh, shredding a block of cheddar cheese on people's heads in the crowd. I did see that. <laughs> did see that? Yeah, there were like reports that somebody was, was shredding cheese. And then there was a picture that was posted up on Twitter that kind of went viral of this guy literally just with a block of cheese just shredding cheese on people. And it's Damn, I, this know, band shreds. <laughs> Total new meaning. That joke was so cheesy, Joe. Oh, thank you. I thought hey. it was a Gouda one. Oh, oh. oh my God. We're full of them today, guys. Uh, yeah, I didn't really care to expand on that story. I just thought it was really, really funny. I'll try to put the picture up too, uh, as you know, when I introduce the, the headline. But uh, Jeff, do you have do you have anything else? Um, I have an RMP. Uh, RIP to the coal miner's daughter, Loretta, Loretta Lynn, yeah. country music icon, died this week at the age of 90. Um, huge star from the early 60s through kind of today. She was making music for the past few years. Um, notable that I really enjoy her album from 2004, Van Leer Rose, which was like a comeback album after kind of a decade away. And it was produced by Jack White, and it was like a resurgence and her popularity. And she's one of those figures from the early, early days that was still around and still in the not spotlight, but you know. Yeah. She had uh, very recent records as 2018, yeah. 2021. So yeah, and there's I lots of great. I believe she released one in 2022, maybe, but um, at least the I'm last two. Sure. Yeah, I saw a couple of the past. Couple yeah, because she just celebrated her 60 year. What is that like? Diamond or something anniversary of uh, being a member of, of uh, the, the Grand Ole Opry. Opry. Grand Ole yeah. Opry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's and there's also like uh, last night. <clears throat> excuse me. I uh, I was just on YouTube and I just typed in Loretta Lynn, just some interviews, and there's. There's a whole wealth of great interviews with her. Uh, one from 1997 that I found, uh, and um, uh, there's a good, uh, well, what is, uh, 60 minutes on her as well, where she like goes to like her childhood home and she kind of talks about her upbringing and her life story and everything. Very very tragic life. She lost her husband, her son, and I think her brother in like a six month time span at one point in her life too. So she dealt with a lot of tragedy and stuff, but she was very resilient. Yeah, and a brilliant songwriter. So and a uh, feminist um, you know. icon. Yeah, yeah. yeah and sometimes sometimes we we like time is like a hard thing to really put in perspective. But like we say, ninety years old. So you think she had a very long career. To put it in perspective, sh her close friend was Patsy Cline. They were the same exact age. Patsy Klein died at the age of 30 in 1962. Yeah. So that's how long yeah. that's how long Loretta Lynn was making yeah. music like a long time. Yeah, forever. very very long time. Yeah. So, rest in peace to uh Loretta Lynn. Um uh we have another RIP too, right? Didn't Coolio die? Oh, he did die. Coolio passed away. Ah, uh, here it goes. He's now resting in a gangster's paradise. He is. R.I.P. Rest in peace, Coolio. Um, mm. Yeah, that was really sad. I, it was, uh, it I was, was more was of last he, week, so that one, that one actually, I think that happened the day we recorded last yeah, week. Yeah, I think yeah. We, we found out after we recorded. Yeah, it was like right after. Yeah, yeah, so... Rest in peace to Coolio and the uh, the Coolio estate. You'll still live in my memes. You're one of my favorite memes to send Coolio. Yeah, yeah, the gift. Of, of this face. Yeah, that one, and then the other one where it's Riding a, still. a tricycle. I like the way he rides a tricycle. I like the still where his hair is just his doing this. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, did you, I saw you had a picture of somebody pulled up. Um, did you read about, if I we're just, talking hip-hop news. I just want to real fast before we, we out this music news. This is going to be 30 seconds here. This is the wrap-up, music news wrap-up. Jay-Z is uh, invested. He has an investment firm and invested in a robot that makes pizza so it's going to be a pizza truck that makes pizza on the go it's a pizza robot he invested like 16 million dollars into this pizza robot yeah so check that out 
with um, his investment firm. And I also just want to shout out to Jeff here that his, you know, uh, beloved group, Haim, right? Haim, Haim. Haim. Thank yep. you. Is going to be on Sesame Street. So, oh, are they? Yeah. Nice. We'll have to. We'll look out for that. We are a big Sesame Street. Family. Sesame Street is like one of those programs that you don't realize every episode has celebrity cameos. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Season fifty three is going to premiere premiere November third, and we'll have a litany of guest stars, including them and some other great people. So I uh, thought Jeff yeah. would enjoy that, and I want to shout that out. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. For sure. Uh, so now moving on, uh, more recently, uh, I'm not sure exactly when the list was published. That probably would have been September good. 27th, maybe. Thank a, you. A list was published on Pitchfork, and this was Pitchfork's 250 best songs of the 1990s. Uh, they had published a 200 best songs of the 90s in 2010. So a dozen years have passed since their last list. And uh, do you want me to read down the top 20 real quickly? Yeah, let's do a quick rundown. All right, starting from 20. Born Slippy Nux by Underworld. 19, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. 18, Common People by Pulp. 17, Sour Times by Portishead. 16, Freedom 90 by George Michael. 15, Shook Ones Part 2 by Mob Deep. 14, Criminal by Fiona Apple. 13, Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. 12, Doo-Wop That Thing, Lauren Hill. 11, Around the World by Daft Punk. 10, Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill. 9, Juicy by The Notorious B.I.G. 8, Say My Name by Destiny's Child. 7, Window Liquor by Aphex Twin. 6, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. 5, The Rain, Super Dupa Fly by Missy Elliott. Sorry, Missy, Misdemeanor Elliot. Four, Fucking <laughs> Run by Liz Fair. Three, Are You That Somebody by Aaliyah. Two, Hyper Ballad by Bjork. And number one, the remix of Fantasy by Mariah Carey and Old Dirty Bastard. <laughs> so Interesting list. Interesting list. I think it's, a, in my view, it's a mix of big, big, big songs that you kind of can't leave off the list. And they mix in their, like... We are blog boys who like want to highlight like our cool niche like interests and like how we're hipper than other people type of thing. See, that was which the vibe is, I got. Which is cool. Um, can we start with this? What is now? This list said the 250 best songs in the 90s. Like, what quantifies best in your opinion? See, that's what we were trying to talk about too, because that was my thing. Was like we were talking about like best songs and stuff, but I don't know if you saw it, but on there 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 was a link to like the editor's note. Okay. Uh, and they were and um they were talking about how like you know what what was the criteria to choose the songs and stuff and like what was being taken into consideration, uh you know I think commercial success was definitely one popularity you know all that kind of thing, I mean best that's a tough one because it's sort of just subjective it's like it's like who's to say what's best and what's not but everybody has different taste, um that's why I think that when it comes to these rankings and things like that. You know, you see things like, you know, when Rolling Stone does, like, the best guitar players of all time. It, it's always, like, the, the top ten's the same, just in, like, a different order. You know, you kind of fall into that kind of a thing. I don't really know. What does best mean? What does, you What's, know, it's... What does best mean to you? I think it's the songs, at least, that come out that are, are game changers. And sure. what I mean mm -hmm. by that is, like, songs that there's, like, kind of a before and after they were released. Mm -hmm. And it's very, like, seismic in mm -hmm. their... Um, mm. impact not only on society and popular culture but also the impact on the popular art that is created afterwards and sure. even the indie art and all that good bullshit that's made afterwards it affects everything yeah. so i think yeah. it's songs that have clear before and afters yeah i think commercial commercial appeal success that type of undeniable like influence on things that came after mm. Like, if you saw this list, you'd go, yeah, that makes sense. So let can we start with what on that top 20 to you jumps out as like, this doesn't really make sense. That's top 20. Hit me. Uh, number four, Liz Fair's fucking run. Um, Liz Fair's okay. Exile and Guyville is yep. a great record. If you are into some of my favorite bands right now, Soccer Mommy, Snail Mail, Bully, mm -hmm. they all are born mm -hmm. out of that literally kind of mm -hmm. like that one record is really the sound. Um, it's very popular right now, and it's in a renaissance, if you will. But that record, um, 
Never Said is the big single off that record, which I think is a better song than Fucking Run. It might okay. not be artistically mm-hmm. a better song. It's a bold song. Um, I don't think it belongs in the top 10. I don't think it belongs in the top 20. Uh, okay. It can be in the top 100. It's a, you know what I mean? Maybe, but um, I don't think it's a before and after song. I, I just think that's a before and after album. Sure. Yeah. But the top songs. Yeah, I, I think that is why they picked a song from that album is because that has influenced so many things 30 years later. Um, yeah, I, I like its representation, but that's how I feel. I think it's a fair somewhere in the top 25 song. Yeah. Because of, you know, the importance Where of that Where we are album. now. Yeah. yeah, because, so kind of, you know, splitting hairs. It, it at number four stuck out to me, stuck out to me, especially because they have, has Rebel Girl, Bikini Kill, very different music, more raw and punk and all that. But Bikini Kill is kind of a similar girl-powered rock right. and roll stuff. Yeah. Again, two different worlds of or two subsets of like a similar thing, but... Mm-hmm. Arguably, yeah. Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill is the more before sure, and yeah. after band and song, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, the subtleness of Liz Fair is only now creeping up, I feel, yeah. in um, most, like, in the popular... Phoebe Bridgers and, yeah, Sakamami right. Mami and all those yeah. bands. So, um, yeah. I, Deeply indebted to that album, though. So, you know, eh, um, four. But, yeah, so I don't know. I think I... we all kind of agreed that one was like a... a yeah. Um, not like a bad song, but like a weird. I think twenty five to thirty is a good place for it. You guys, big Aphex Twin fans? Um, oh, I did yo. not. So that I was, was the... not. I'm like, where did that come from? I don't. I don't. Blog boys. Yeah, because it's that... it's just so Aphex Twin is like one. Yeah, of, like... I, I had no idea what that was. Full disclosure, oh, okay. I had no idea uh, what that was. Me, like, who the either. hell is this? Uh... You know, <laughs> have, have I seen that album cover a million times? Yes. Yeah. Have I ever been interested to listen to it? No. Come I figured on, it was man. some hipster nonsense. I was just kind of like, ah, okay, you know. Yeah. Um, for it is. Me, that's why it's up there. For me, this is this is based pretty much on personal taste. I yep. mean, does it deserve to be number two? I don't know. But Bjork, I mean, you know, listen, I, I, mm-hmm. this is a blind. Bjork is a blind spot for me mm-hmm. entirely. So this might be an unfair thing for uh, me to say. What do you know about the sugar cubes, Mike? But I'm just trying to say. I'm just trying to say though. I go. I look at it and I go. You're gonna put Bjork at number two, but you're gonna put Lauren Hill at number twelve. Like, uh, hey, some would say that Bjork is like more of an outlier and like a totemic artist, right? Right. And it's that, like, and yo, Bjork is Bjork, and like people don't yeah. sound like her, and people when they're trying to chase what she's doing, they're like, you are trying to do what Bjork does. Right. Right. And that's why, admittedly, like I want to put the disclaimer out there that like yeah. I like Bjork come is on, a huge. Did you see that late the latest news article with her where she's wearing like this giant sort of it looks like those inflatable costumes? Have you <laughs> I'm, seen sure. that? I'm like, what's going on? She's Bjork? like a wood nymph that lives over there in Iceland. <laughs> um, number, so number two is such a bold choice. It's so bold. It's like it's the, yeah. it's a raucous statement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and it's you know you know let pitchfork. That's like the most pitchfork. Of all pitchforks, yeah. you know pitchforks. what it is. Also, oh, what well, it is it? Well, for me, it's just, you know what. It, like this is my thing, right? Like when I think of like the greatest songs of the '90s, for me, it's just more of an emotional reaction in the way that's just like, what what songs on here trigger like my '90s response? And for me, it's just like. Criminal triggers a 90s response. Fade Into You triggers a 90s response. You know, Say My Name, sure. You know, Rebel Girl, sure. Juicy, yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I'm like, I just, like, Criminal, like, I remember watching that. That's the music video where she's, like, in the bathtub, mm-hmm. right? Like, that to me is, like, seared into my brain as being, like, this nostalgic feeling of, 1996. like, the, You know, yeah, yeah. like, it just feels like that time and i don't know that bjork feels like that time for me again in 96 we were how old you know like so also i was saying to mike that this list is more akin to a uh european sense of music and taste Mm. i feel Mm. uh just because of i feel like george michael's freedom was a way bigger song in europe than it was in america even though it was a big song mm-hmm. over here too i feel like that was like just a smash like giant thing oh yeah he's also from uh apex twin 
Mm-hmm. I feel like that's more of like a dance hall UK sensibility, mm-hmm. and that's where that kind. Uh, you know what I mean? So I feel like this list too is like where Americans that are like we didn't listen to that on the radio. What you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I think they're taking into account. Um, so I look like slight sidebar. I looked at the list from 2010. And there are a lot of similar things in like the top forty, let's say, but that list was like, we are guys who like indie rock music. There were so many like the top ten was like six indie rock bands, and you're like, okay, Pavement and this. It's like cool, like yeah, important, but also like little lacking of representation. Um, I see some of these, some of what might seem strange choices as being very '90s picks, like that Born Slippy song. That is like trance, dance, rave culture, which was huge in the nights. Like how we think of EDM in the 2010s. Yeah. Like in the world, there was such a huge like techno and all that ravey type of music. Same thing with the Aphex Twin song, which is like Aphex Twin is more like nerd version of that kind of music, but yeah. also like another thing that like I didn't listen to in the 90s, but. The people who listened to it were like, we only listen to music like that. Right. Um, I think a big winner of this, especially the top 20, with two beats featuring the top five, uh, Timbaland. Timbaland, yeah. Because Timbaland still, when I listen to a Timbaland beat, I go, man, nobody makes beats like this. And somehow all of his beats sound futuristic yeah. in like not a dated way but like actual futuristic like way be- way ahead of their time yeah well are you somebody the Aaliyah track that's number three on this list I was like I went through this list and I was like let me listen to ones all the ones I like don't know yeah and I clicked that one because I'm like I don't know the song and I listened to it and I was like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I definitely know this song. The Dr. Doolittle soundtrack. That's right. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember the music video and I remember the dancing. And like the samples of babies. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. The beat is so good. Like yeah, Mike was yeah. just doing, it has all those like pop click noises. What a 90s song. That For me, that was a, yeah. I remember before and after that song yeah. in my life. I remember when well, that came out. I remember watching it on TRL. I remember how yeah. big it was. It was like, number one for like oh mm-hmm. what it was huge that song and i think it's it's stated either in the description for the missy elliott song or the Aaliyah song that i think the whole timbaland approach to writing beats and stuff was because uh he like there were so much lawsuits and stuff with like sample music samples yeah. sample clearance and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so it kind of forced him to be creative in like a different sort of way and kind of sample other things that like you know would be easier to kind of get sample clearance for and stuff but it just it just clicks with him i mean that missy elliott track dude i mean come on i love that song yeah. that song is so cool do you guys how about so brit pop was huge in the 90s i like pitchfork not choosing an oasis song or a blur song but choosing a pulp song yeah right. just to be like yeah well we're cooler than both pop of those music. bands yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i thought that was like again i, I for me i was like this is more of like a uk list because we yeah. didn't get any pulp in america i feel like Right. Yeah. None. And Zero. Common People was the song off of whatever album that was, and yeah, yeah we. Got I recognize it, but also like I've heard it, kind of recognized. But yeah. No. Yeah. It's same way. I was like, I know this, but like it's so yeah. like vaguely out there that it didn't feel like an important game changer yep. to me. So that was another one. Good. That was a good spot out. Yeah. Um, now the list as a whole. Um, I don't know if you looked at the full list or if you search to see if certain things were on it Mm. but um there were some songs that in my opinion should have been higher on this list definitely and then there were some songs that i'm like how is this not on this list of 250 um closer by nine inch nails to me is like a top 10 song if i'm thinking what made the 90s what influenced multiple genres of music that were big in the 90s closer i think is 31 on the list and like top 10 top 15 is my opinion where it should have been um and then this song by a swedish pop group love fool by the cardigans such a 90s huge song huge 90s it's like that 90s style where it's like sounds like a retro 1966 song um, it's on the list, but it's not number sixty four. And for me personally, I would have liked to see it as a top twenty five pick because it's like, mm. I I think that band's a one hit wonder. I can't name any other songs, and that's like a perfect song. That's like sealed in plastic, like immaculate song. Mm. Um, 
songs I thought should yeah. be on that list uh, in the top 20. I thought Groove is in the Heart by D-Light yeah, I thought, me too. should be in the top 20 yeah. because stylistically. Yeah. and just It's number in, 47. Yeah, it, I was going to say it was in the 40s somewhere. But I feel like the song is just so impactful and fresh yeah. sounding. And as the rap verse and the yeah. funk and the Bootsy Collins feature. Yeah. Um, it, it deserves top 25. I, it's just... Yeah. So my my favorite song of the nineties, yeah. I think. So yeah, um, I saw Creep TLC. That was in that was number fifty four. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's one of those ones where you look at it and then you look at Destiny's Child and you're kind of like, okay, I mean, mm. like who kind of came first and who was sort yeah. of the trendsetter and that yeah. thing and all that. I mean, I have very distinct memories of Creep and uh, Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls, yeah. like the music video for that and stuff. And TLC was like really big. Like my cousins yeah. really were into them. Um, so, you know, it's that age-old question of kind of like, you know, are they is it better because it's first or, you know, it's yeah. that whole thing like the predecessor do they get the accolade before the the, you know, the the next version of the same mm -hmm. thing, you know? What about the ODB feature version of Fantasy? Do you feel like I feel like the other version of fantasy is the one I listen to way more and the one I hear more. Yes, but I think I, I think the remix that. is more important because I'm gonna be fully transparent. Please like, fill me in. That song I, came out. I'm curious why that version is number ninety six, maybe something yeah, like maybe. that. Ninety five, ninety six. It wasn't until I'm being honest, like until I was like twenty years old, where I fully was like, "Oh wait, Mariah Carey is black," because <laughs> like, oh yeah. She was marketed as a white singer, as yeah. like a whitewash type of singer. So I think the ODB version is very important because it was a time in her career where she was like, I'm actually a black artist. Like the urban hip hop crossover stuff is what I want to be doing. It's what like music speaks to me. And I think it's it's important that a big pop star mm. had a crossover hit with a a wild rapper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that was like, yeah. that seemed like an, un, like an unsanctioned event. Because she was like, <laughs> yeah. she was married to Tommy Mottola, her record label executive and stuff. And she was like kept like on a straight line. And she pushed to have a feature with ODB, who I'm sure like. Those who know. Showed up to the, showed up to the recording, you know, in a different state possibly. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw it and I thought, eh. But then I'm like, you know what? I think it's important that a pop artist having a rap crossover and like embracing her blackness and embracing yeah. like, you know, all those things. Yeah. Um, but I like Emotions. If I'm picking a Mariah Carey song, Emotions is my favorite Mariah Carey song. Oh, see, I'm, I'm fantasy. I like the Tom Tom Club sample. I'm yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, um, Nirvana number six. I mean, yeah. it has to be there. You cool. know, it's got to be there. Um, no love. For the most important black male rock star of the '90s, no Lenny Kravitz. No Lenny, Lenny Kravitz in yeah. the top fifty. I know, I know. What the f top? I'm I'm sorry. Top two fifty. He was on the list. He was on the list at he all. He had no songs on the list. What? Not even. Come on. Not even. It, it's it ain't over. It ain't over till it's, it's over? over. Is that 2001? That come? Does that come no, out? No, that was that was 91. That was an early song. Really? Really? Yeah. It was that early? Yeah. It ain't over. Uh, it's 91. Damn. Are you gonna go my way? Was 91. That was also 91? Yeah. Or no, Are You Gonna Go My Way is the album after, so that was 93. Yeah. Fly Away was 98. <sighs> That's, and and he was like a songs. breakout artist. I mean, like, he you was know. The, he was the only the black, black rock, rock artist, artist yeah. in the 90s. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, this is like 1989. I was going to give you Living Color. But they're a band. Oh, yeah. there you go. No, yeah, he's a solo yeah, artist. He's a solo artist, right, right. No so love no for love Lenny. Lane Kravitz. How about oh, this? Man. Not on the list. I'm going to say... The artist, not on the list. Nas. Importantly, New York State of Mind, not on the list of top 250, 90 songs. Yeah. Like, in my opinion, it's the it's the A, B of Shook Ones Part 2, where it's like, these are the greatest hip-hop samples. That is interesting, huh? Like, because, songs of because, all time. Because Shook Ones got 15. I know, and it's no Nas on the list. At all. No. The, the, <sighs> I did Nas dirty. I feel like... Uh, Overall, though, mind, Pitchfork has a, yeah. a like a they don't really do rap well. They had a but yeah, there they, are a they, lot of rap songs on this list though. They do, but they like like even Mike was like the the mob the mob deep pick. Is that your mob deep pick for the 
best you know song. Mob that's the song. The that's the that is the that's song. The I mean, Survival of the Fit is my favorite on that record. But that's the song. But that but Shook Ones is the song. That's yeah. the one that you know was featured in Eight Mile. That's the one. That's like that's the instrumental hip hop song. Spinning on his grave. No Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Oh yeah, yeah. Because think about that, right? Well, I mean, what was the commercial success of that song? It was a num. It was number one. Yeah. It was like Weird one Al of the Perry. rare number one rap songs yeah. of the mid '90s. Strange, and that's like you know, and it's I think it's like kind of overplayed or was overplayed and all that stuff and parodied in the mid '90s. But like when Coolio died, I went, you know what, Gangsta's Paradise is kind of like almost a joke song. And I listen to her, I'm like, this is not a joke song. This is like a incredibly good song. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like incredibly good. But I mean, sample. Yeah, they, yeah. But this is the thing. Like they put and and we lo- we uh, everybody knows who listens to this podcast. Like we love DMX. I love DMX. But like DMX is on the list, but Nas isn't on the list. You know what I mean? It's that's yeah. weird to me. That's very yeah. weird. I mean, Bone Thugs and Harmony got Crossroads on the list. They're at number seventy three. You know, I mean, at least you got Tribe Called Quest, but still Dre, Dr. Dre featuring Snoop Dogg yeah. off the 2001 album, which was not released in 2001. Um, but it's like, yeah, that's that's odd because it's like you're going to you're going to do the, you know, the hit single off of like the later like that because the chronic is the Dre album. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if, there you, if were there songs is a off Dre that. album. Nothing but a G thing was on the list. Yeah. But that's what I mean. They're like you have like repeats yeah. of artists and stuff, and then to not even include somebody like Nas, I think is just kind of weird. And, and Nas isn't a hits Julio. guy, but like everyone no, but who listens to rap music knows New York State of Mind is he's the, the is one of the top ten rap songs of all time. Well, yeah, and like, it's the Borough thing, right? Like Biggie's Brooklyn, Nas is Queens. Um, I think oh, I think I think Mob Deep's is, is is Queens too. I have to go blow my nose. Okay, go blow your nose. Justice for Lenny Kravitz, okay? Yeah, justice respect. for Lenny. Put some respect on Lenny Kravitz's name. Yeah. Lenny Kravitz, he could have had like six different songs in the 90s picked on this list. They did not, not go his not way. Not a single one. Um, but, He's you know, there's there there's a, there's a, there's some other stuff on here too, though. I mean, B- 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 Bjork is, you know, is a reoccurring one. Gotta, they gave I, Tony Braxton a I song on here, so that's cool. I want No, um... Uh, oh crap! I just scrolled past it. What the hell? I want uh, you to listen to Bjork and then give us a review of Bjork. Oh God! Come on, man. You like that album? Two word review. Shit sandwich. <laughs> no, you, you, you liked that album. <laughs> You're by... making me high. Is the Tony Braxton song? Who is the girl? <laughs> who? The girl, the pale girl with blonde hair who makes Bjork inspired music. She is from another Scandinavian country. Well, I can't remember her name. I don't but know. we reviewed her album. Oh. And I liked it. Yes, we all liked it. Oh, who the did fuck we? Was her name? Oh, I can't remember. Aurora. Oh yeah. And she made that music. She's from like Finland or or something like that. Was that and, this year? Yeah. Yeah. And we we all reviewed it, and we were all like, "Wow, actually, like for music that we don't actually listen to." So yeah, you gotta. Listen, all right, I'll listen try to, to give. Bjork. I'll have to give Bjork. Her, I listen to Apex listen. Twin. Listen to nineties Apex oh, Twin. Good God. And come back to me when your brain scrambled. <laughs> I'm just going to take a bunch of ecstasy and listen to all that stuff. Uh, anyway, all right. You guys want to wrap this segment up real quick, and then we'll uh, yeah. we'll come back. We'll do some. Uh, we'll do two new album reviews. We'll be right back. Stick around. You're not going to want to miss these. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hofner Guitars. I have here the Hofner Shorty. It is a full-scale, travel-sized guitar. You can find this and all of their products at HofnerGuitars.com. <laughs> All right, welcome back, everyone, to Get in the Garage. We're in the music podcast. For music lovers. As always, two new album reviews for you this week. The first one up is by the band The Yeah, Yeah, Yells. Luke, can you give us the album name? I will. Please. Once I get it up on my phone. Oh, It's yeah, called it's Cool It, it Down. down. Yeah. Um, cool It Down by The Yeah, Yeah, Yells. This is a return for them. They haven't released an album since 2014, I believe is their last album so this is a break from the hiatus it is eight songs long it is very short the brevity of this record is 32 minutes and 28 seconds yeah good short record um i didn't i wasn't a jeff said it best the other day i was like i listened to the yeah yeah yes record he's like is it more like the man man man's record <laughs> and i was like kinda no you know I, i'm i'm being a little bit harsher critical about it for yeah. me i think that the uh, i just it was it was a slow beginning i think the first two songs for me i was like oh no what am i getting into i think it picks up a little bit in the middle 
But um, you know, the first two songs were a little bit slow. Uh, I don't know what I mean. What did you guys think? So, yeah, that that. F- I mean, I, I I appreciate Perfume Genius, who's featured on the first track. But yes, you start off the record with like like a right. long exhale of dreamy orchestrally synthesizery keyboard stuff and it's like synth- sleepy synth yeah. pop dream pop kind it's not of. Uh, it's not what i was start the record with but no it's yeah, I not said the same thing to luke it's yeah. not a high energy beginning it's kind of like a kind of like a torch song to begin yep. the record the chorus spitting off the edge of the world which is the title of the song it is kind of like just a throw it all in the air, dream pop, torch song, like I just said. And then the second song, Love Bomb, is a complete, like, dream pop, like, wave of slow push-pull. Yeah. Um, And the vocal is kind of understated and lovey-dovey kind of lyrics. It, to me, really doesn't pick up until you get to the third track wolf Mm -hmm. and even at that it's still a little mid-tempoed this record picks up straight in the middle on fleas um but again let's talk wolf builds i think wolf was one of the stronger songs on the record my favorite duran duran song right (laughs) i mean it basically was yeah that's what we said today too i was just like is this i saw it i was like is this a duran duran cover cover? like what and i was like no it's not i looked at i even a beat him i'm like wait a minute it's just a very heavy homage right and then i also wanted to point out which um pitchfork already did as well and this is where i got that from um the song burning steals the four seasons um melody from their song Beggin and uh I A B those and it really does like it just updates yeah. that version with a new set yeah. of lyrics. And Which was already a big hit like last year for by Monaskin, the Italian band who did that mm-hmm. song I'm begging, I'm begging. Oh right. Yeah. So it was just like I don't know, I w- maybe I would not have used that sample again. Right. So soon but And it wasn't yeah, it wasn't even like a sample. They just kinda like yeah, interpolation, still. Yeah, yeah. Of it. So yeah, yeah. this record also is doing that thing where it's taking your influences and really bringing out in the forefront. Obviously, the Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf, and the song Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, Fleas has ESG, the um, dance band, is referenced in that song about uh, dancing to that band and going to the concert and um, kind of getting a new lease on life after that event. So. The combination of those songs, the Four Seasons, um, on Burning, Fleas having the ESG, and Wolf, Duran Duran, they're all right back in front of each other. It really just kind of like puts the this is where I'm coming from kind of thing Mm. on kind of like the other shoulders. And I think it kind of works well, but it is a bit jarring and weird because like Mike said, you're like, I'm kind of listening to a rewrite of Hungry Like the Wolf for the modern mm-hmm. era, just like um, Burning is a kind of a rewrite of that Four Seasons song. Yeah. Um, so, very strange. But, this ain't um, your mama's yeah, yeah, yeah's either. This is like, if if you only know Fever to Tell, the first album with Maps, um, this they did do keyboard stuff on later albums more heavily. This is like heavy heavy keyboards yeah which is i karen o and the guitar player both play keyboards on it and um another album produced by dave siddick from tv on the radio who was a producer on i believe all of their records um so it's true to form it's like after a t- almost a 10-year hiatus uh but it is a more mature sound and a more like we aren't a garage rocky type band anymore we're all i think they're all in their like late forties, if I do the math, like mm-hmm. so, it's you know, it was like an adult contemporary yeah. pop record, definitely in the way it was structured. It had yeah. a lot of the new pop production values on this record, but artistically, it was definitely from an adult point of view, a matured view, and yeah. it didn't have any of that like kind. You know, the the things we've been seeing this year in pop is been a lot of dance music yeah this record really had like one of those songs yeah different today was i think the closest thing that i came to like a dance or at least burning was kind of like that yeah yeah burning i was gonna say fleas and wolf fleas, and fleas was the, the funky one yeah but um like i meant I, it's like an up-tempo mm. dance kind of thing sure. yeah and this 
had a little of that, but it was more like a matured, like varied version of that where it didn't give you, you know, all fast, all slow. It had a little bit, if anything, this record kind of leans more towards the slower end or the mid-tempo range but yeah and at 32 minutes as well i wasn't really mad at it you know i mean i listened to it i was like this i mean this album's probably in terms of my musical taste and stuff it wasn't necessarily for me but it's an easily digestible 32 minute album it's not like it's you know i mean you listen to it you're like okay and it's really seven songs and then like an atmospheric music backing backing to a two-minute poem for the last right yeah mars so it's like yeah about um, her son and her at the beach so yeah it's an interesting album. It doesn't exactly give me a, like a full picture, a full texture of like one kind of statement for me. Mm-hmm. It's a little like up and down. Um, like we said, it starts off kind of slow and then builds and then kind of slows back down. Uh, Blacktop, another kind of mm-hmm. uh, song at the end of the album, was definitely more of a filler track. And then you mm-hmm. get this wonderful song that is different today, which is the last mm-hmm. real song in the album. Yeah. And different today, to me, should have been the album opener mm-hmm. because it has this breath of life and I feel different today. I'm a new person. Right, um, right. Yeah, I, I did write. I like the lyrics and on that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it definitely had the more textured towards like the what i think the record's mood maybe really is mm-hmm. and i feel like it kind of uh buries the lead with the first two songs so weird choice of um bad first two songs yeah what is that yeah. called just bad sequencing, uh, sequencing. just bad i mean i think it's yeah. ba- uh, a little bit of bad sequencing yeah. a little bit of uh. maybe this album could have used two more songs to fill out of artistic some like give me more yeah. flavor of, of another yeah. kind of maybe a little more fast in something. Yeah. yeah. Um, or I say I say bad first two songs if you want to like hook people into your new record. Yes. Yeah. The, just not well placed. Yeah. 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 They're not like right. bad songs, but yeah. they're a weird one two punch to open a record. Very bizarre choice for such a It's like a, a one two ambient. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For, <laughs> right. For such a record, yeah. a record with such brevity, yeah. the first two songs mm. feel like. Yeah, pretty MMS. Long. So, uh, how do you guys feel then in terms of uh, rating? Like, um, you know, I think I'm gonna rate this record um, at seven because there's no songs in here I really hated. Mm-hmm. It's a solid record. The brevity of it, it works mm-hmm. for it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has room to grow. So, a, mm-hmm. a seven. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go six. Uh, this album wasn't really for me. It may have bumped up a little bit more had the sequencing, the order of songs been a little bit better. It just, I, I, you know, I like uh, I like a good opening song. I like something that hooks me in in the very beginning and makes me want to listen to continue on. I feel like if you have a good hook in the beginning of the album, you can kind of digest and accept some uh, more of the, I don't want to say lulls, but you know what I'm trying to say, the lower points in the record, the calmer points of the record. Uh, but six for me. That's gonna, I'm going to go with six. Yeah, I'm saying six, five. Um... I liked what they were going for and what they achieved, but also it's hard to have a couple skippable tracks when you have a seven-song album. Right. So it's kind of a... Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, there you have it. What do you guys think? Do you like this Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's record? Let us know in the comments below. Um, so moving on, um, Jeffrey, would you like to usher us into this? Because these are your, you know, these sure. are your boys here. Sure. The other new album from this week that we're talking about is the new release by jazz fusion group Snarky Puppy. It's called Empire Central. This is a 19-person band based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, This album, this band makes studio albums, and then they make these live-in-the-studio albums, and this is a live-in-the-studio album, so they recorded tracks over eight-day period in a large room with everybody playing, and with audience members scattered throughout and everybody has headphones on to hear the mix of everything. So you hear audience interaction and clapping and stuff like that. Mm. And they record for eight days, so these aren't like the one take they did of these songs, but these are the best takes of live, like a 19-person band playing seven-minute song and let's capture the magic. Um, It is a double album-length album. It's 16 tracks. It's an hour and a half long. And this... I believe is the first live in the studio album that has had all 19 members because in previous live in the studio albums, um, for example, the album, we like it here that had one drummer and one percussionist. Mm. This album has the band leader, Mike league on bass, three drummers, three percussionists, three guitarists, four keyboard players, two brass players, two woodwind players and a violin. 
Like it's a massive band with a ton of texture. And when I say three drums, you're going to think like, well, yeah, it's just like a bunch of noise centers, a bunch of guys playing the same thing. It's like, no, they all find their space. And like the mixing by Nick Hart is so great on this album because you can hear like little bursts of things kind of peeking through and having their moments. Um, I love this band. Like this band has a bunch of other bands spawned off of it by various members of this band. And I just think like this is like cinematic instrumental music. Mm -hmm. It's funky. It's jazzy. It's world music. It's like emotive and emotional. And um, it's just like everybody's a killer player in this band. Yeah. Like and plays their part. Like it's a big team. And they all just like know, like, all right, I'm gonna get my thing to shine and yeah. support and yeah. yeah, it's the for me, it's that vibe of like the sum of the parts kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hit it on the head too. It is, it's, it is all about teamwork because there's no way that it can't be about teamwork when you're dealing with a 19 piece band. Like everybody yeah. has to know what they're doing and what their place is and their the function that they serve mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. Uh, it's a whopper of a record at that hour and a half long. I was like, holy shit, this is a long album. And I initially thought that it was recorded in one night. It wasn't, it was recorded over the course of eight nights. I think it was, um, also, uh, it's the um, the final recording that you have of um, uh, 80s funk keyboardist yeah. Bernard, Bernard Wright, who Wright. passed away yeah, at 58 shortly, shortly after the session took place. Um, that song that he was on to, uh, what was the name Take of that it song? Take It is the name of that tune. Take It, thank you. Um, I really, really enjoyed His that song. His solo is so, oh. it's like, can I ride dissonance for a minute and a half? <laughs> yeah. you're like... He's just like gr- playing notes that great against what the band is playing, yeah. but he, and he leans into it so hard. And even after that, though, so you think funny. like, oh, I'm going to get a breath, and then it goes into this crazy drum solo part. You're like, what the fuck? It's just, co- it's yeah. just right, it won't quit. Epic yeah. Asia-style uh, yeah. drum solo. Yeah, All three yeah. drummers yeah. taking different spots. Yeah. Right, so um, I wanted to know, too, yeah. like Jeff said, this is like jazzy, fusion-y. Mm-hmm. Um, if for like... Lamest turns. I'm gonna also say it kind of sounds like Steely Dan inspired funk in soul yeah. with heavy um, fusion soloing over mm-hmm. it. So it's like you were saying, it's the precision. It's like that thing of Steely Dan isn't really a band. It's more of a two mm-hmm. guys and a bunch of session musicians. Mm-hmm. That's really what this is, and it's interesting yeah. to wa- to hear session musicians get to really kind of grow their own in a mm-hmm. real kind of band setting and a real live interactive yeah. mm-hmm. setting and that for me is the real draw of this band and the interest of it we're talking like um of like crazy songs on here and funk did you guys like um mean greens and rls because like the, yeah. midway down when you're getting through this record mm-hmm. for me this was a hard one to sit and listen to in the full thing but when you got to RLs and Mean Greens, those were so funky and mm-hmm. on like a nasty, like ooh, kind of thing. I really enjoyed that kind of switch up where a lot of it tends to be more like, you know, on the higher brow fusion y mm-hmm. jazz thump. And that stuff was more like kilter. Yeah, that's their bread and butter is like stuff that makes you just be like, yeah, because oh they have that. Just swagger. Another song I wanted to bring up, which is really late in the record for me to have like popped my ears, and I was surprised I dug this one, and it popped out every time I listened to it. I listened to this record four times, everybody. Straight. I listened to it four times today. <laughs> Damn. I wish I had the time. There's no way. Because this, this is the band I would choose if if you had like – what would be the soundtrack to your life? I'd just be like, let Snarky Puppy just score my life. Yeah. Because it just reminds me of movie soundtracks, like in the best way. That's Yeah, that's exactly that. That's what I was picking up. Which but, one uh, stuck pi- out? Pineapple. Ah, I high five oh, on the pineapple. pineapple. I thought the same yeah. thing. Yeah. That one for me was more like on the ho- hard bop edge, yeah, yeah. and it had like the horn lines going yeah. through it the whole yeah. time, and like the chorus with the horn lines. And that's deep. That's like track 13, 14, something like that. Yeah, right, I, wrote, so, I, I noted pineapple down too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's right before the big single off this record, Belmont, which is like mm. doing pretty well on Spotify. And but the Belmont, I was like, I perked my head and I was like, okay. And then yeah. Pineapple kicked. I'm like, ooh, I really mm. like that song. Yeah. Um, so there are things I really like in this. Re- like Bet was another one, the third mm-hmm. track on this record. I really loved that. There were moments on this record I really, really loved. But for me, I wanted like this record to be like four songs and then like another album to be 
fourth song. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Because the just the my cup runneth so full. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and all the songs are good. All mm. of them are great, and I yeah. loved every one of them. But it's just the length of it was just so pu- it was almost punishing, punishingly long. Because yeah. by the end of it, I'm like, man, I've had my full. But mm. yeah. it was so good the whole time. That was my issue with it. Yeah, that and that's the thing. Confliction. They're just top-notch musicians, though. There's no, you know what I'm saying. You listen to it, and you're like, oh, these are people who have mastered their craft, and they yeah. know exactly what they're doing, and everything is done on purpose, and it's it's mm. so well calculated. I mean, Michael League. We could talk about Michael League, yeah. and like we could do a whole segment on Michael League. Incredible bass player, plays the our favorite setup, the P bass with the flat wounds. You know what I mean? He's a brilliant musician, visionary, musical visionary, and and all that stuff. Um, and uh, and yeah, I just. I love it, and these are also guys too. I think who I forget who it was that they were talking about. I think it was when I think the the we love it here sessions, but it was like wasn't it like the drummer who played on that session like didn't even really know the songs that they were gonna go over, and like he got the music. He for learned it, like, it on the, the eleven hour flight to yeah, right. to Luxembourg or wherever you know what I'm recording. saying. But that's something that like Larnell Lewis, like yeah, thank you. That's what it was, Larnell yeah, Lewis. You know, drummer. but these are top notch musicians, man. These are guys yeah. who can just who can do something like that and learn a body of music in an eleven hour plane ride and just be like all right yeah let's start the session you know and then just goes right into it no problem well i want to hear what are songs that pop out for you yeah what's giant snarky puppy fan like the ones that popped out to us are kind of like you know the same um what what, what popped out for you on this record i loved rl's which is kind of the centerpiece it's maybe track 10 um i think it's the longest track on the album it's like crazy guitar like wild west meets jazz shredding uh i don't know that what i'm waiting for i'm waiting for all of the if hopefully they release all the videos because they for these live in the studio sessions they've released three videos so far where they actually edit it up so you can watch the band do the thing but they don't have the video up for that yet so i don't know who the guitarist is it sounds like bob lanzetti who's like the most undersung of the three guitarists but like it sounds like his solo stuff so maybe it's him um I love The Closer, which is uh, Trinity. It's a track by Mark Lettieri, who's one of the other guitarists. And that has this, like, kind of, like, jungle, seductive, like, slow swagger. And then it goes into this, like, gospel bounce type of B-section bridge, whatever. And they ride it out at the end. They bring it back. Um, I like Mean Green, which is written by percussionist Nate Wirth who plays with a band called Ghost Note and reminds me of the music that Ghost Note does where you can tell it's written by a percussionist when you know like, oh, this is funk music by definition where like even the the brass hits or the guitar stuff is only doing rhythmic stuff. They aren't mm-hmm. like playing lines. They're like fitting into the clockwork Stabbing of out a funk paradiddles. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... I mean, if I look at the whole track list, Please I mean, because I, I want to know what like popped out to you on this record. I liked Cleroy as like a a low key. Cleroy was written, um, I forget which trumpet player wrote Cleroy, but mm. one of the two trumpet players. It's I don't think it's Maz. I think it's the other one. I can't remember his name. Um, I really liked um, Free Fall, which kind of was like. Uh, I don't even know how to describe that. Free Fall, I think, was heavy violin. Yes, that, that was one. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that. I think one. that's yeah. Free Fall. And th- that violin song was very like, because it was out there. Because yeah. you were listening to this whole record, and that was another switch up on this record because it was very funky, very soulful, mm. very jazz. And then you're like, ooh, that was some like you're getting some like Middle Eastern flavors yeah. in there, and some like of those runs, and very interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like. I love this record. I love this band. I love what they do. I love the whole ethos behind it of like, this is a big collection of guys who like a core 10 of them. I don't know if all, I know all 10 aren't still in the band, but I believe like eight or nine are still in the band, but they met in college at like, you know, I think it's university of North Texas, which is right outside of Dallas, Fort Worth. And, um, this band's been going for almost 20 years. I think, I think they started in 2004 maybe. And, uh, they just get stronger and stronger and mm. like all the guys are monsters like Sean Martin plays keyboards and he does a lot of that like vocoder like California love type of yeah, stuff on yeah. like a mini Moog and Bobby Sparks does like a whammy clavinet where it sounds like electric guitar um, 
yeah, they're like Bob Reynolds is a nasty sax player. Like it's just a band of absolute animals. Um, and when you have three drums and three percussionists and three guitars, it's like if you know all those things and you're like obsessed with music arranging like I am, you hear all the textures and all of the colors and all of the like moods and and it's just like what a great thing mm-hmm. to see of like an orchestra of funk jazz. Right musicians right like it's just it's just like a different level and these guys all have side projects that are all worth checking out um i mentioned ghost note uh fork um mark lettieri's solo stuff bob lenzetti's solo stuff michael league's stuff that he does like world music with other people because i think michael league is based in spain now um but yeah this is just like monsters this these are like yeah monsters yeah, uh, songs that stood out to me, uh, Keep It On Your Mind. I really love that. That's opener? That's the album yeah. opener, yeah, you yeah. know, and we just talked about strong album openers. Yeah. I like that one that had, like, that nice sort of, like, slow burn, great yeah. clavinet uh, work in that one, mm-hmm. too. Um, I like the song Portal. I, that mm-hmm. that song to me, I don't know, this might be kind of weird, but it felt very New York. Yeah. It opens up with the winds and the horns, mm-hmm. uh, and then, like, it, there's a point where like the percussion sort of drops out and it's just like hits like the click, click, mm-hmm. click, 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 with like piano and then the strings do this melodic lines you know but then it, it builds up to this like very like romantic almost like what you would imagine like a new york sax solo would be yeah, i guess that's yeah, yeah that yeah. beautiful sort of lush thing new york state of mind saxophone solo yeah you know yeah like um i like the song um ho- i hope i pronounce this correctly honiara Honiara. Yeah, that was I think um, written by, I think the violin player. Yeah, well, I, I think, think so. and you could tell too because it did. It had a bit of a different feel to it. Um, I did like like the violin and guitar soloing together. Like that was a really cool thing. It was it's very rhythmic the whole time. And then around like the four minute mark, it sort of like kind of like gets a little bit quiet and then it has this kind of like really nice like sort of like you know searching noodling sort of guitar solo that kind of like you know explores over it um but yeah like i mean you know you said it best it's just it's it's uh it's an orchestra of like jazz and funk musicians and it um yeah and it translates well and like look man you're dealing with 19 people it can get it could you know like it could get bad it could go wrong it could get you know it It could could be hats on a hat and you know yeah Yeah, and it could do that but it they they didn't it's it is that the you know all for one on you know one for all some of the parts makes the the greater uh, the greater piece uh if i do have a criticism it would be that it is an hour and 30 minutes long so i was like holy shit this is you know 16 songs that's it's uh you know it's a challenge to get through if um you know if you don't have the time to do it but you know i i you know i i listened to it the way that it worked for me but uh i was not i was not upset with what i heard man because they're they're top-notch musicians these are these are class acts you know no you could like leave the song while you're working in the office kind of thing and it like is playing on and on it's not something you yeah. really need to like attentively listen to but if you oh. want to attentively listen to everything yeah. is there to really dive in deep and nerd out like jeff was telling you i guys. will say too though i would love to hear this band with like a vocalist or like maybe a they couple do of albums vocalists. with vocalists yeah they they have a couple albums that are called Family Dinner. They've done a volume one and oh, one, right, two, right, right. which are other live in the studio albums, and they have different people people featured on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of these songs I would have liked to hear some vocals over. That would have yeah. been nice, you know. I but- assume, like, if if you go by, like, the what they've now done, I assume the next album would be another Family Dinner volume. Right. Because they, the most previous projects were a studio studio album, a live at Royal Albert Hall album mm. live in the studio and now they'll bring it back and I assume do another one with vocal guests. Yeah, cuz they did just release another album too along with this one which is uh what was that live record at that festival? What was it? The Ground uh, Up Fest. Thank you. Yes, yeah, the I think Ground that, Up but Fest. But that's like a 4 or 5 song EP. Yeah, right, came, right. came out yeah. maybe last year or sometime. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. the, well, it's dated for this year, but maybe or, early, or early, early this in the year. year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, so ratings guys let's go around jeffrey let's start off with you i know you're gonna give it a good rating of course it's your yeah i don't your bread and butter like hour and a half because i i just put this on i'll listen to five songs i listen to six songs i listen to three songs i listen to all 16 yeah um it's the first album as far as i know that had all 19 playing at once because even live they only bring a drummer and a percussionist and usually a guitar player um and two keyboards, maybe three keyboards. So like this is the, this is the full strength of this band. Um, 
Yeah, I lo- I like can't explain more how much I like this band. This is a nine five for me, yeah. and it's not. It's only not a ten because like a ten would be. I'd need like two more blow your mind solos maybe yeah i don't know but like yeah yeah i'm 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 just like yeah it's not perfect but it's as close to perfect as yeah for me luke how about you um this is gonna be an eight for me the musicianship is out of this world but i am so much more of a concise human being and it's just like so much sauce so um that's why it's an eight for me but if this is your deal it is your deal like jeff said yeah uh i'm gonna go eight five i think it's super super solid same thing i mean you know i'm a prog rock guy i'm a prog metal guy i love when the stars align and intricate things happen and especially with this too you know what i mean like like you said you love like the art of musical arrangement and stuff like that you know you were a band orchestra guy i was a band orchestra guy you were a band orchestra guy you know like so you know well yeah it's percussion <laughs> he's a really percussionist a but i was you know i you know you know we f- fans of the composers let's say you know and stuff like that and i have the utmost respect for uh, everybody involved and you know oh, michael I, league as well a note on that composers i didn't mention it michael league leads this band this has 16 tracks written by either 11 or 12 different members of the band. Right, right. So like everybody even like compositionally has their own mm-hmm. moments. So which is cool. I think it adds, you know, you yeah. can kind of see that oh, like yeah. it's like different, different flavors, yeah, different and, flavors yeah. and all that stuff. So yeah, I'm going to go 85 on this one. Uh and yeah, great 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 record, man. Great great record. Check it out. Let us know what you think in the comments below. Did you like it? Did you love it? How do you feel about the yeah yeah yes? How do you feel about the pitchfork? 250 top songs of the 90s. Mazzy star number one. <laughs> number one and <laughs> no. number two and number three. And, and, number uh, and Fly Away by Lenny Kravitz at number three. <laughs> Groove is in the heart, guys. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let us know what you think. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share the podcast with all your friends. We love doing it for you, and we uh, we love you guys for watching and listening and for all your support. We'll see you guys next time on Get in the Garage. A music podcast. Get in the garage.